Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Listen to tales of dastardly pirates and amazing innovators, catastrophic accidents and devious crimes. This podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception. So get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. As I don't believe in sanitising the facts of history, these episodes may contain information that some people find disturbing. Valentine's story was cut short in 1971. But what else happened that year? Well, on January the 25th in Los Angeles, Charles Manson and three female family members are found guilty of the 1969 Tate LaBianca murders. On February the 28th, Evil Knievel sets a world record and jumps 19 cars on a motorbike in Ontario, California. The 5th of March in Belfast, a Led Zeppelin show includes the first public performance of Stairway to Heaven, a song from the band's fourth album. On June the 30th, the musical fantasy film Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, based on the novel Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and starring Gene Wilder and Jack Albertson, is released. July the 3rd, Jim Morrison, lead singer of The Doors, dies of a heart failure due to a heroin overdose at the age of 27 in the bathtub of his apartment on the third floor of the Rue Betrellis, 17, in Paris, France. On November the 22nd, in Britain's worst mountaineering tragedy, the Cairngorm Plateau disaster, five children and one of their leaders are found dead from exposure in the Scottish mountains. A group of 14 had travelled from the school, Ainsley Park Secondary in East Pilton, Edinburgh, with outdoor education teacher Ben Beattie, aged 23, and girlfriend Catherine Davidson, 20. They were going to Laganlia, an Edinburgh Corporation outdoor centre near Avemore. Splitting into two groups as planned, the students with more experience went with Ben, the expedition leader. Catherine and Sheila would lead the other students. After crossing the plateau, both groups were to meet at the Coral Bothy that was situated at a much lower altitude, where they would spend the night. Not long after they started hiking, the weather took a turn for the worse. Ben and his group spent the night in the shelter and assumed the other group had made it to safety elsewhere. After struggling through the deep snow, they made it down to safety on Sunday as nightfall began to approach. Raising the alarm when they realised the second group hadn't come down as thought, a rescue party was organised to find the missing children and their leaders. Fifty men began the search on the Monday morning, along with helicopter support. The weather conditions had cleared slightly, but visibility was still poor. Catherine was spotted by a helicopter crawling on her hands and knees on the plateau. 
suffering from severe hypothermia, she was hoisted up into the helicopter and transferred to a local hospital. The mountain rescue teams eventually came across the makeshift Viviac, laying amongst the waist-deep snow. The group found five dead children, along with Sheila's body. Her sixth pupil, Raymond Leslie, was miraculously found to be still breathing. Both Raymond and Catherine eventually made a full recovery. Four of the children were 15 and one had just turned 16. And lastly, on the 29th of December, the United Kingdom gives up its military bases in Malta. But our sad event occurred on the 6th of May in 1971, the sad death of 50s icon and singing legend, Dickie Valentine. Word of the Week For this week's Word of the Week, we're going right back to the 50s with a phrase that doesn't mean what you think it means. Duck's arse, which is nothing to do with the feathered creatures. In fact, it's a hairstyle that men in the 50s used to have. Think of Elvis Presley with his quiff. Well, it's the part at the back of the head. The V-shape, where the hair is combed from the sides to form parallel sections in the rear. So when looking at the back of the head from the crown to nape, it resembles the rear end of a duck. On the 6th of May 1971, popular 1950s singer Dickie Valentine his pianist, Sidney Boatman, and drummer, Dave Pearson, were killed in a car crash in Glan Grinwy near Abergavenny. They were travelling along the bridge to a gig at the Diamond Club in Caerphilly when it happened. Dickie Valentine was originally born Richard Maxwell on November the 4th, 1929, in St Pancreas, London. He also went by the name Richard Bryce after his mother remarried but was best known under his stage name. At the age of three, he appeared in the Jack Hulbert, Cicely Courtenage comedy film, Jack's the Boy. His father, Dickie Maxwell, was a lorry driver, and when the family moved, Valentine got a job in the Palladium, but was sacked for being cheeky. Years later, in an interview, Dickie recalled his time as a backstage assistant at Her Majesty's Theatre, in London. The first time I really felt I was getting somewhere within reach of my ambitions was when I became a call boy at His Majesty's. Until then, I'd only been able to nip round the back of the theatre now and then, usually to be thrown out by the stage manager. It was at Her Majesty's Theatre in London that Valentine became the protégé of Canadian stage star Bill O'Connor, who sent him for singing tuition, after he heard Valentine singing to himself backstage. And one of his talents, even at that young age, was to be able to impersonate a number of other singers. While in his late teens, he was playing the club circuit as a singer-impressionist. He was performing at the Panama Club, 
and was spotted by music publisher Sid Green, who introduced him to Ted Heath, who was the leader of the hit British swing band, the Ted Heath Orchestra. Never heard of them? Well, the Ted Heath Orchestra is considered Britain's greatest post-war big band, recording more than 100 albums, which sold over 20 million copies. The most successful band in Britain during the 1950s, it remained in existence as a ghost band long after Heath died. On the 18th of November 1969, aged just 67, and the band remained in this form until 2000. So Valentine being introduced to him was kind of a big deal. It's actually quite a sweet story how his band formed. Apparently in 1941, Geraldo the lead of a band that Heath was in, asked the band members to submit a favourite tune to include in their broadcasts. Heath had composed a song that lovely weekend after his wife had written him a poem on a rare weekend together amongst his war travels, and he set this to music. Heath suggested that lovely weekend to Gerardo, and it was orchestrated with Dorothy Carlos on vocal, and was an immediate wartime hit. The royalties from this song and another composition, Gonna Love That Guy, allowed Heath to form his own band. Dickie Valentine signed up with Ted Heath's orchestra on February the 14th, 1949, as a £10 a week singer and they gave him the surname Valentine. His debut with the band was broadcast from Aylan Hall. Initially, he featured him as a straight ballad vocalist, but later allowed him to display his range of impressions, including those of Mario Lanza, Nat King Cole, Billy Daniels, and apparently an accurate parody of Johnny Ray. on the street. Today, my friends, we venture forth to Arthur Skemp Close in Bristol, BS5. This is named after a chairman of the university settlement who did a great deal for the people of Barton here in Bristol. The university settlement was designed to provide the workers of the area with access to evening classes and the chance to develop skills of a practical, educational and sporting nature. Unfortunately, Arthur Skemp was killed in action in France in 1917. Valentine was voted the top UK male vocalist in 1952 while singing with the Ted Heath Orchestra, the most successful of all British big bands, and again after going solo in 1954. He'd left Ted Heath's band after spending five years with them, and in 1952 he recorded Never, from the Mitzi Gaynor movie Golden Girl, and Lorelei, 
for Melodisc Records. In November 1954, Valentine was invited to sing at the Royal Command performance, and in February 1955, he was top billed at the London Palladium, the same venue he was fired from in his youth for being cheeky. Now, though, he was being paid highly for cracking jokes and impersonating entertainers, including Johnny Ray, Frankie Lane, Mario Lanza, and Billy Daniels. He signed up with Decca Records, having number one singles with Finger of Suspicion and Christmas Alphabet, both in 1955, the latter a cover in itself, being covered by Cliff Richards in 1991. Valentine's version of Christmas Alphabet was the first single written about Christmas to reach number one. In April 1955, Valentine again topped the bill at the London Palladium for two weeks, a month after winning the male vocalist category in the NME poll. He went on to win this title consecutively from 1953 to 1957. Good looking, with dark curly hair and a rich melodic voice, Valentine became Britain's number one band singer, a heartthrob who set the teenagers screaming. In 1959, Valentine appeared at the Bristol Hippodrome, and when interviewed by the Bristol Evening Post, he said, On TV, you can't be yourself. You can't ad-lib, as I like to do. You can't talk to the people on the front row of the stalls. Worst of all, you certainly can't relax. In 1961, he had a television series calling Dickie Valentine. In 1966, Valentine partnered with Peter Sellers on the ATV sketch show the Dickie Valentine Show. And he was back in the top 20 with One More Sunrise for Pi Records. But groups rather than solo singers soon came to dominate the charts and Valentine described his own rock and roll party song as... That's the biggest clang and eye of drops. At the height of his career, he appeared on American television with a performance on The Ed Sullivan Show and headlined at theatres where he'd once been employed backstage. As if foreseeing the future, he said in an interview, I know this business. This week at the top of the bill at the Palladium. Next week, nobody wants to know about Dickie Valentine. Valentine's last concert was at the Double Diamond Club in Caerphilly, Wales, where he sang the classic Frank Sinatra song, My Way, as well as We'll Keep a Welcome in the Hillside, which the audience loved. A member of the audience later said he was fabulous. His last photo shows him with a tie he'd been presented with by the friends of Caerphilly after finishing his act. Valentine was travelling back to a friend's home where he was staying and was killed outright in a car crash on a single-lane bridge at Glangrunny, near Crickhall, Wales, on the 6th of May 1971, at the age of 41, together with pianist Sidney Boatman and drummer Dave Pearson, both aged 42.
Valentine's close friend and former manager, Tom Layton, said after the accident. I feel very bitter about this bridge. It's a death trap. You can see the skid marks there every day. It's supposed to be an ancient monument, but it's too narrow for traffic to pass. I've lost my closest friend in Dickie Valentine. We used to go fishing down here in this little bit of paradise. Ironically, a petition had recently been submitted, signed by over 700 people, asking for traffic lights to be installed there for safety reasons. The coroner's inquest revealed that the car was travelling in excess of 90 miles an hour at the time of impact, and also the fact that Valentine was driving his wife Wendy's Hillman Avenger, a car he wasn't very familiar with, whilst he was waiting for the delivery of his new customised car. He had lost control of the vehicle while attempting to take a dangerous, clearly marked bend. Even though he had travelled on that stretch of road many times and was familiar with its hazards, he may have been distracted by conversations with his friends, as well as being very tired from his recent performance, the crash having happened at 4.20am. Valentine's body was so badly burned that he had to be identified by a medallion around his neck. David Barraclough was identified by a tooth on a chain and his watch. Due to his history of alcoholism, some people suggested that drink might have been the cause of the accident, but those close to him knew that he'd been teetotal for two years. In fact, it was noted that Valentine had been refusing drinks in the clubs he performed in. His friend and agent, Edward Jarrett, said that Valentine had been a total abstainer for the past two years. In the end, the coroner returned a verdict of death by misadventure, adding that the deaths were apparently due to asphyxia from smoke and fumes after all three had been stunned by the crash. Just to give you an idea of what he was like as a performer, Here's a recording of Dickie Valentine live at Pinewood, Cape Town. Oh dear. Excuse me. Do you hear the one about the little tiny mouse? The little tiny mouse goes into a music shop and said to the man behind the counter, Excuse me, please, but could I have a mouse organ? That's not it. Hang on. <laughs> Save it for the end. It's weak. He says, Could I have a mouse organ? And the man behind the counter said, it's funny you should come in because it was only this morning we had a little lady mouse in here. And the other mouse said, yes, that was our Monica. (laughs) (laughs) Or a lady goes into a grocery shop, said to the man behind the counter, I'd like a bottle of sauce, please. He said, HP. She said, no, thanks, I'll pay for it. I'm very fortunate, you know, because most singers have managers, and all the manager is interested in is taking 10% of the singer's earnings. Well, I'm very fortunate he doesn't do that. He lets me keep it. Forty-one-year-old Valentine's funeral was held in the Methodist Church at Egham, Surrey, on the 12th of May, 1971, where he'd married his second wife, Wendy, three years before. 
Amongst the mourners were Leslie Crowther, George Martin and Bruce Forsyth. Members of the old Ted Heath band paid their own tribute by playing Abide With Me at the cremation service. He left behind a 15-year-old daughter and 14-year-old son by his previous marriage to ice skater Elizabeth Flynn. On the same day as his funeral, this lovely letter was printed in the Daily Mail. I am the headmaster of a school for physically handicapped children. Following the death of Dickie Valentine, I would like to offer a tribute. We at St Michael's feel the loss, not of a show business personality, but of a person who was genuinely interested in the welfare of physically handicapped children. Dickie Valentine visited this school, wrote to the pupils, and helped to finance their golf lessons on condition that there was no attendant publicity. We mourn the passing of a gentleman. S. Thornton, headmaster, St. Michael's School, Pinner, Middlesex. Saturday, August the 7th, 2021, a plaque was unveiled by organiser Mr Woolley and Valentine's son Richard. Around 50 people attended the unveiling, including some of Valentine's relatives. The wife of Valentine's agent, Julie Layton, was also there, as well as members of the Brecon and Krakowell fire stations who were first on the scene of the crash. A member of a charity that Valentine was part of, the Water Rats Charity, also attended the unveiling. The trustees of the local village hall provided refreshments to the people who attended, and they weren't just locals. Some came from all over the country. Almost £200 of the fundraising total was donated to the Fire Benevolent Fund Charity after the unveiling. Hey, this is Russ. This is Kyle. This is Michelle. From the Infectious Groove Podcast. Join us every Monday for the most fun you can have with a music podcast. The Infectious Groove Podcast uses a positive and fun approach as we take time every week to share our jammy jams, then dig into a thought-provoking topic discussing all decades and genres of music. You can find the Infectious Groove Podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can head to infectiousgroovepodcast.com to find us there and subscribe. We might have a controversial opinion here or there, but we always have fun with it. Oh, I'm sure I'll say something dumb. Subscribe to the Infectious Groove Podcast, part of the Odd Pods Media Network. In the news today, boffins in Bristol have discovered a snake wearing a hard hat. They've decided to call it a boa constructor. Back in the day facts. So let's start off with the 13th of May 1912, when the Royal Flying Corps, the forerunner to the Royal Air Force, is established in the United Kingdom. 
Also on the 13th of May in 1966, the Rolling Stones release Paint It Black in the UK. Written by Mick Jagger and Keith Richards and released by London Records, this song was a huge success, spending 10 weeks on the record retailer chart in the UK, one of which was at number one. Upon reissue in 2007, it re-entered the UK singles chart for 11 weeks. It was the band's third number one single in the US and sixth in the UK. On the 14th of May 1796, Edward Jenner, English physician and scientist who pioneered the concept of vaccines, administers the first smallpox inoculation. In Jenner's time, Smallpox killed around 10% of the global population, with the number as high as 20% in towns and cities where infections spread more easily. On the 15th of May 1940, Richard and Maurice MacDonald opened the first McDonald's restaurant. The 16th of May 1770, the 14-year-old Marie Antoinette marries 15-year-old Louis-Auguste, who later becomes the King of France. On the 17th of May, 1900, the children's novel The Wonderful Wizard of Oz by L. Frank Baum is first published in the United States. The first copy is given to the author's sister. And lastly, on the 19th of May, 1962, a birthday salute to US President John F. Kennedy takes place at Madison Square Garden, New York City. The highlight is Marilyn Monroe's rendition of Happy Birthday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Happy birthday to you. Well, my friends, I'm afraid that's it from me for today. But don't worry, because you'll find me in the same place at the same time next week. And as always, I'd like to take a moment to thank those people who brought today's amazing story to life. And this week we have Bradley Stoke Radio's very own Steve Shepherd, as well as Molly Jeffries and Joe Wilson from St. Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol. Thank you, one and all. Thank you for listening to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. This has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And if you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. And if you'd like to support the show with a donation, however small, you can go to ko-fi.com, spelt K-O hyphen F-I. And if you're interested in buying merchandise, featuring the show's logo, then pop over to tpublic.com where you'll find lots of things to choose from. And if you want to get in touch with me, it's perfectly easy. You'll be able to find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking for at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK or you can email me direct at info at backtracker.co.uk So until next time guys, take care and look after each other.